Amen. All right. And so when we talk about hospitality, hospitality, you know, as we talked about making room, hospitality is where we make room for the stranger to become a friend where we make room from a stranger in order to become a friend. Ultimately, our goal is that we desire for them to be brother or sister, you know, and so this is really where we are coming from today. So, and what we've been doing at the beginning of each one of these sections is to kind of make sure that this is interactive in us to make room for one another. And so what we, we have a few questions. We have a few questions that we have, and I thought about it, especially on the heels of Thanksgiving. How many of you guys hosted on this Thanksgiving? How many people hosted? Oh, we are, we are a going group, huh? All right, how many people went? How many people went? All right, amen, amen. All right, so we, um, all right, so now that we, no, but it is, but this, this imagine, let's just imagine for a minute that if every week was like hospitality, like, like Thanksgiving, Look at Jesus, like, oh no. Every week was like Thanksgiving. And I'm not talking about every week you ate like you eat on Thanksgiving. That's not what I'm talking about. But what if every single week that you had to do some type of engagement with friends and family or, and there was a time of hosting for an extended period of time. Ultimately, what I'm saying is, is what if the goal were in Thanksgiving, right? And so what I want you guys to do is discuss. We have three questions, and we're going to do them real quick. Three questions that I want you to discuss at the table. The first question that I want you to have this thinking about it, not just about hosting, because I think we all can do a one-off. Like, we all can just, like, I could be hospitable for a day, right? And then I got to wait until next year in order to do it again. But what if hospitality, what if you had to be consistent, right? What's, the most, what's difficult about being consistently hospitable? What is difficult about being consistently hospitable? Hospitable. All right, we're going to give you a minute, take a minute, discuss that amongst your table. All right, all right, so we got some mics going around real quick. We want you to come give us the short, um, understand, short answer to some of the questions that you said. So what is difficult about being consistently hospitable? Short hands, come on. Emotionally draining. Okay, what else? Okay. It's a lot of work, no time to recover, making sure that the care is not comfortable, just a lot of work. That's yes, really just good. overall fatiguing, just a lot of work. That's it, I heard the fatigue in your voice. You must have, you must have been one of the ones hosting. Yes, yes. Oh, that's good, it's a sacrifice, because it's usually the time of rest that you are actually hosting, that's good. What else? Any others? I said that we were um, naturally selfish. Amen. Naturally selfish, just period. Coming Hi. with the creativity pieces of it, the planning, the always trying to be fresh. Okay. All right. The refreshing, the planning. That's good. One more. Don't see your ugly. So, like, you can't just fake it. Oh, that's good. One time, you can fake it. Multiple times, it's getting real. All right, no, that's good. All right, the second question, what do you do personally, personally to prep to being hospitable? If you were, had to do it consistently, what would you consider doing personally to prep in order to be hospitable? So if you had to do it regularly, what would you do to personally prep? What would you have to do? All right, give me a minute. All right, pray. We got that already. Everybody's praying. Amen. All right. All right. All right. Raise your hand if you want to answer. Raise your hand if you want to answer. We'll give you some mics. Angela. That's good. So put together a team. Don't carry the load by yourself. What else? Who else? I think you could start finding different people to bring into your house or, you know, wherever, just so that it breaks up kind of the monotony of having to have 
Yeah. All right. So you're diversifying who you have. That's good. That's it. All right. Prep. That's good. Make sure that you're a clean person. So clean. That is awesome. A couple more. I would sit silently. You would sit silently. <laughs> and just hope that they go away? Or what? Like, why are we? Oh. Lots of silence. Prayer. Lots of silence. All right. Prayer for times to come. <laughs> Prayer for times to come. All right. All right. This. Go ahead. That's good. All right. So that's good. All right. So you guys have kind of answered the third one, so we won't break off to the third one. The third question was, what do you do to replenish? And when you just thought about hosting all the time, you automatically went to replenishing. So that, that, I get it. No, that, that, is, that is good. And I really do appreciate the, the honesty. You know, when I thought about Thanksgiving and I thought about this, even this season and both the giving and the receiving of your space, because that's really what the holiday seasons oftentimes are. It's about the giving and the receiving of your space. You choose who you're going to share your space to, who you're going to make room with, right? And that's a part of this, what we've been trying to talk about, this concept of hospitality and making room and making space. The other thing that I wanted us to see is that in, when, we, when it comes to making room or making space, right, this is a discipline that we have, that even some of the most gifted, some of the people, how many of us are extroverts, that we get energy by being around people? Oh, not that many. Okay. All right. But, um, but well, but that is, even if you do get space, you still need to discipline yourself, right, in order to make room. And I think it's really important because what we've been talking about since the very beginning is that we made a bold claim. And that bold claim is that at the core of the gospel is biblical hospitality. And we made the reference to Romans chapter 15 and 7, where it says, welcome one another in the same way Christ has welcomed you. That the whole core of everything is in the, in the gospel is about how Christ welcomes us, right? And then in Romans chapter 15 and 7, after he lays out the whole gospel message, he then says that is a, a, a call to both receive, but it's also a call to give, that we ought to welcome one another in the same way Christ has welcomed us. The other thing that we see in there is that after presenting how Christ has welcomed us through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, it stops and it gives us that famous passage in Romans chapter 12 and one, where it says, therefore, I beseech you therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, by the grace of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable service. So. What it's ultimately saying is that that word to present yourselves ultimately means that you would yield yourself, that you would yield your bodies. It's the concept of surrender, that if Christ has welcomed us and if Christ surrendered it all for us, that he held nothing back, then it is our responsibility to surrender it back, right? He says to be living sacrifices. See, here's the issue. If we would have said sacrifice, it would have been all good. Because a sacrifice, I could do it once, a one-time thing. But the problem with a living sacrifice is that I'm constantly daily. I can't sacrifice once for the good of all. That every single day, every single moment that I'm consistently being asked to surrender. How draining, how fatiguing is that? And so what Paul does is that he goes in another letter, he comes in and he talks exactly around, around this principle of making room, this principle of biblical hospitality, of surrendering. And he says, how do we go about doing that? So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we are going to see how Christ or how Paul, through Christ, consistently makes room for us, makes rooms, make room for others. First Corinthians chapter nine. 
If we're not familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is a book that Paul comes and he says, hey, there is carnal Christianity that's being manifested here, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about this carnality. But he then goes and he says the reason why they're carnal because there are so many factions between each and every one of them. Some say you're of Paul. Some say you're of Barnabas. Some say you're of Apollos. And he goes and he mentions all the different factions, all the different people that has caused separation. And, and he talks about all the different reasons. And then he goes on and talks about the power of the gospel. And, he's, and he talks about to the Jew, right, the gospel is a stumbling block, but to the Gentile, it is um, foolishness. He goes and he begins and he, and throughout the book of the, in the first Corinthians, he goes and he asks a few questions over and over over again. And each one of these questions are started off with the words, now concerning blank. And so whenever you go through the book, and if you just to do a reading of the book of um, First Corinthians, it says, now concerning this, now concerning that. And he just, it's a series of questions that this carnal church that Paul feels like he has to address and he has to, has to answer. And in chapters 8 through 10, we see another one of these times where it talks about now concerning. He doesn't mention the word hospitality, but it is clear what he is trying to do, right? What he's trying to do. He says in 8.1, he says, now about food, sacrifice to idols. Now concerning, in some translations, food sacrifice to idol. He now takes this issue, this prominent issue that is being debated within the church of Corinth, and he begins to show how do we show hospitality? Because there's a couple of views in here that are, that, that, that are coming here, right? One view is that, hey, you know, theologically, if we were to make a theological argument about um, food sacrifice to idols, well, actually there is no idols because there's only one true God. And if there's only one true God, then we don't, you know, to eat what somebody else is sacrificing, but they're not really sacrificing. And this is like a whole theological argument that they ask. And then they say, and Paul basically confirms, says, yes, if we want to talk about theologically, you are correct, right? You are theologically accurate. And he, and he argues in, from chapters eight all through the chapter 10 about there's only one true God, Right? And so, but he says, but there is a greater principle. There's a greater reality that we have. It's not just simply about being theologically correct, but it's also about love. It's about creating space. It's about making room for people who are not able to come to the same theological understanding that you have and that you um, could understand. And so Paul, right here, he kind of comes to this place where he be, basically, he says in chapter eight, verse 13, he says, if me eating meat offends or causes another brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. How does Paul get to that place? And I believe it is this concept of what he was talking about in, into the church of Rome, where it says, welcome one another in the same way Christ has welcomed us. It's this concept of being able to understand. In 8.13, Paul then stops and then he gives us a, a, a personal example of himself and how he fleshes out this principle of making room, of making room, right? And so we see that. And so in chapter 9, we will see that. I want to look at chapter 9.19 and we're going to survey the rest of chapter 9 because 9.19 gives us uh, another summary of the book, uh, of this section. Chapter 919 says this, although I, this is Paul speaking, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to all in order to win more people. And so in this, we get a summary of all of chapter 9 and really the whole argument that Paul is trying to make of how you can be theologically correct, but ultimately wrong. And why hospitality and making room is an important aspect of doing that. He says, although I am free from all, I'm not anyone's slave. I have made myself a slave to all in order to win more. So I'm breaking this sermon up, breaking this time up into three parts. The first one is this first one. He says, I am free from all. The second one is that I have made, my made myself a slave to all. And then the third piece is in order to win more. I, have freed, I am free from all, but I've made myself a slave to all in order to win 
more in order to win more. And so what we see here in this first section, again, 919 says that first section says, although I am free from all, not any and not anyone slaves. The first point that Paul, if we're going to be consistently hospitable, is that we first got to understand that how to relinquish our rights. How do we relinquish our rights? Right here, if you were to look back in chapter 9, verse 1, Paul is basically arguing that he is an appointed apostle. He is one who is sent by God. Because you've got to understand right here, Paul was being questioned about his authority, that whether he was apostolic authority. And the reason why he, um, he didn't take money or the reason why he wasn't able to do some of the same benefits that Peter and others had was because he wasn't a true apostle. He wasn't one with the authority that was sent out by God. And so Paul basically says, listen, let me kind of start off with just understanding that I am um, an, a commissioned believer or a commissioned apostle. And he validates this with four rhetorical questions in um, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And so Acts 9, chapter 1, he gives us four rhetorical questions. Basically, he's asking and answering the question basically within, a, within an affirmative. In verse 1, he says, am I not free? He says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord, are you not my work in the Lord? In verse 2, it says, if I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And so Paul first starts off with saying that, listen, I have every right as an apostle. He says, I am free as one who has been sent with authority. I am an apostle. And he said, and then he goes and he says, I have seen the Lord Jesus. I have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus. I have been sent. He says, and if all of those don't clear, clarify it, then you are the very work of my apostleship because Paul spent 18 months in Corinth starting and planting that church. He says, if nothing else, you are the fruit of my apostleship. And so he starts off with this argument, and but throughout the flow of this argument, in the first 18 verses, or the first 15 verses, he says, listen, as an apostle, I am ultimately worthy of my wages, right? That in the same way an ox is worthy of being fed, I am also worthy as a minister of the gospel. And he says, but even though I am worthy of my wages, my goal is not actually to seek wages, I'm not like, and so he says, like he's making an argument. He says, I'm worthy of doing it, but listen, and he even says it in here, he says, the goal and the reason why I am telling you this now is not that you can start paying me, it's so that you can understand that I'm worthy of it. He says, I'm not trying to seek wages. And then he goes on and he says, here, let me, under, let me break it down for you. The reason why I don't want to seek wages because it is a part of my privilege. It's a part of my reward that I love to give. And in verse 15 of chapter 9, he says, for my part, I have used none of these rights. The rights that he was talking about was the right to receive wages for his minister, as a minister of the gospel. He goes on, he says, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. And I'm not saying this because I want you to start giving to me. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and to offer it free of charge and to make full use of many of my rights in the gospel. Paul was basically saying is that the one boast that I have is that I did not come over, because you gotta remember, I did not come over for material gains. Because here, you have to remember, some people were already claiming that Paul, that it was, a, it was, a, like it was a, in his benefit that he went as the primary persecutor of the Christian faith to becoming the primary perpetuator 
of the Christian faith. And it's like, is he doing this for material gain? You know how we do. It's just like whenever we see somebody successful or we're just like, what's your, what's your, what's your motivation? You know, Paul, he was all about it about this, but now all of a sudden he's over here. Somebody must have got to him. Must, and so Paul says, no, 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 this is not about success. This is not about material. This is not about padding my pocketbooks. He says, so part of the goal of it is that I have relinquished that right. Why? So that no one can take away my boast. And I count it as a privilege to be able to serve you, to not be a burden to you for the sake of the gospel. He says, so he says, and he makes that summary in verse 19. He says, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, right? Paul basically uses the word right here. The word slave is the Greek word doulos, doulos, which basically means the word a bondservant. He says, even though I am free from all, I have become a doulos, a bondservant of all. That word is significant because what a doulos was is that after you, um, there's a couple of ways that you were enslaved during that time or in that time. One was because you were in financial debt or some type of debt to a person and you had to serve. But after, whether it be seven years or whenever your time period was done, that period would stop. And then after that, the slave would have a choice. Either they can go off into the free or they can now become a bondservant, a doulos. And we see that even in the Old Testament, the way that they would signify that is that they would then go and then they would literally pierce their ear, right? And by them piercing their ear, they would ultimately say that I, am, I have the right and I am free to go and become and be a free man, but I have chosen to submit myself under these people, and I signified that by the piercing of my ear. And so Paul says, listen, I have the authority to kind of, and I have all the rights to be of any apostle, but I have made myself a bondservant to who? I have made myself a bondservant to all. Although I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. And he says, why? Why? And so that he can win the more. So it is his privilege. And he says, I do not want you to take the boast of that, which leads us to that second part. He says, although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, that second part, as I have made myself a slave to all, right? What does it mean to make yourself a slave to all? Ultimately, what we see is that there's two parts to this point. The first part is that Paul first finds common ground. He finds common ground. And then the second part, uh, he says, is by maintaining, while still maintaining our identity. So he finds common ground by, but still maintains his identity. Still maintains his identity. All right, we pick it up. And he says in verse 20, he says, to the Jews... I become like a Jew to win Jews, to those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law, to those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I become weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, Said I, so that I may be, so that I may by every possible means save some. And so right here, Paul talks about this how. How does he make himself a slave to all? Is that as in as he is a, 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 pre, a minister or a preacher of the gospel, he first finds common ground, but he also maintains his identity. And so in here, what we see is that the first thing he says, to the Jew, I become like a Jew. To the Gentile are those without the law. I become as one without the law. To the weak, I become as one who is weak. He then he says, I become all things to all people that I might save some. And so in here, basically, he goes and in this church that is made up of Jews and Gentiles, he first begins to talk about, he says, listen, as we go, let me understand, to those that are under the covenant, those that are Jew, I become 
like the Jew. What is Paul saying right there? You see, what Paul ultimately is saying is that he seeks to understand before trying to be understood. That's part of what being hospitable is. And the way that he becomes a slave to all people is that he first seeks to understand before trying to be understood. And so in here, he goes and he begins to, to basically show how that happens. So remember the argument. He goes in, in chapters 8 through 10, they're asking about, can you eat meat sacrificed to idols? Basically, he argues theologically and he lets them know. But then in verse 13, he says, listen, here's the final, here's the reality to it all. If my eating causes my brother or sister to stumble, I will never eat meat again. Paul comes and he says that if this is, he does this for the sake of the gospel. He says, and let me show you how this is applied to the Jew, right? I become like a Jew. I become as one who is trying to win the Jews. See, Paul, this is not something that Paul just talked about, but this is something that he lived out. Do you guys remember in Acts chapter 16 when Paul was going to preach the gospel message to a predominantly Jewish congregation, right? And he was going to preach the gospel, but there was a problem that he was taking Timothy along with him. What was the problem with Timothy? Timothy wasn't circumcised. And for the Jew that that meant that you are ungodly or unworthy or unclean. And so what did Paul do? Paul put that man under a knife for the sake of the Jews being able to hear the gospel from him. He says, to the Jew, I became as one that was Jewish. How many of us are is that desperate for people to actually hear the gospel by just simply creating space? so that they can hear the gospel. I would never forget the time I was in Honduras and we were speaking in, you know, in Honduras and literally it was, you know, a couple of hours, few hours that we were, we were talking. And then hour two, you know, after speaking and, and talking, at the end of the message, I was just like, so any questions? And you know what the first question was? They raised their hand is like, um, do you know it's unbiblical for you to wear earrings? At the time, I had earrings in my ear. And literally, for, it was like I didn't say anything for two hours. So for the next hour, we were just talking about how it is actually okay for you to wear earrings and not, you know, all the, the different things. But at one point, about uh, three hours in, right, now when I was just like, let me, let me just go ahead and take off my earrings so that we can get back to the gospel. Ultimately, what we were actually here talking about. You see, and that's what ultimately was Paul saying. Part of Paul was saying is like too many of us are too focused on keeping our rights. And it becomes a hindrance for people to hear. But he says, no, 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 no. You have to make room. Ultimately, he's saying is that the gospel is offensive enough. Don't, Don't you become also another thing that people have to overcome. And so he says that, but then he, but, but on one side, he says, so uh, uh, Timothy, we got to get you circumcised. Circumcision wasn't a one day thing. We got to get you circumcised. So he went to consider death just so that the gospel possibly could be heard. You see, but on the flip side, he says, but I also, he says to those who are under the law, I become as one under the law, uh, without law. To those without the law, I become as one without the law. Ultimately, what he's saying is like this, but there's another side to this story. To the Gentile, those without the law, I become as a Gentile. So um, when I'm hanging around all Gentiles, I'm eating up the pork, I'm doing it all. When I'm with the Jews, I'm not. But when I'm with the Gentiles, I am. Well, he was just like, man, that seems a little funny. He ain't ain't consistent. You see, but here's the thing. He was just as adamant about one as he was the other because on the same token that with Timothy, he says, we got to get circumcised. But if you now go read in Galatians, in Galatians, basically the same thing. In chapter two, there were Jews coming in trying to spy out the freedom that the gospel gave to the Gentiles. And so Paul, he does not tell Titus this time. He says, Titus, we ain't getting you circumcised. 
because they're coming in and they're infringing on your freedoms. So we're not getting circumcised. All the way to the point, again, it takes a huge inconvenience because Paul leaves where he was, and then he goes all the way to Jerusalem and has a big council with all the other apostles in order to argue for the fact that as those without the law don't need to become as one under the law. So Paul, on both sides, he says, to the Jew, I become like a Jew. To the Gentile, I become as like a Gentile. To those that are weak, I become like those who are weak. And he, and he goes and he says, I become all things to all men so that I might save some. So Paul first clarifies that there's a sense of that if we're going to make room, we got to first seek to understand before trying to be understood. First create space so that the gospel can be heard. Because he goes on, he says, again, let's go back to verses 20, because the second part of that is not losing his identity. The second part of that, he says, to the Jews I become like a Jew, to win Jews, to those under the law, like one under the law. And then he, but he gives us a caveat in each one of them. He says, though I myself am not under the law. But then he goes on in verse 21, he says, to those without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. Right? And then in verse 22, he says, to the weak, I become weak in order to win the weak. All, he says, basically, I become all things to all people so that I might save some. So ultimately, he basically says is that by all possible means, I do, what all, I do whatever it takes for the goal of winning some. So although Paul does not, he becomes all things to all men and he creates room, he also recognizes who he is in Christ. Right? He also understands where he's going because that's one of the dangers. Right? We understand that one of the dangers of finding your identity in the environment that you are in or just seeking to understand is that you can end up being a thermometer instead of a thermostat. You guys know the difference, right? A thermometer simply records the temperature. You go into the room and you just simply record it and you simply just say, all right, this is what it is. But a thermostat both understands the temperature, but then it has the ability to adjust it up or down. Paul recognizes that there is a danger because even he wrote it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So he understands that we are not just simply to be thermostats and just simply our thermometers, just simply recording the temperature and just kind of fitting in. We ought to be called thermostats. We ought to create, make room, but we also need to understand the temperature to heighten it, to lower it. And so he makes this, this idea palatable for them. And he says, I do it by all possible means. He gives us guardrails. You see, the gospel doesn't give us a by any means necessary approach. In the gospel, the end, the means don't always justify the end. But the gospel is about how do we, by all possible means, the guardrails of the scriptures, the guardrails of the Bible that gives us the ability to know where, how we can engage, right? Paul is not in there debating whether or not the deity of Christ. He's not talking about things that are of first importance. He's not talking about the gospel. He says there are some things that are of, of, of ultimate purpose that we could, there's no even common ground that I'm, that I'm not here to kind of placate you on, that there's certain truths that I cannot deny. And that's oftentimes when we talk about, you know, in here, I talk about the difference between principle, prudence, and preference. Right, that when we talk about the idea of biblical principle, biblical principles are the things, are the heels that as believers that we are to die on. And the biblical principles are things that we can go to a verse in scripture in text that I can show very clearly that this is the word of God and he has clearly stated what we are and what we are not to do. Prudence is wisdom. It's something that I can't show you in the Bible explicitly, but Wisdom will tell me, the life of other people and life of others, that this can lead me to violate the principle if I don't 
be aggressive about this print, about the, the prudence, the wisdom. But then there's preference. Preference is simply my choice versus your choice. Again, I like to use the example. Biblical principle is the Bible says do not fornicate, right? That's principle. Prudence is do not cohabitate. Why? Because if you cohabitate, you're probably going to fornicate, right? But I can't show you a verse in Scripture, but I can give you history and years of people who violate that. That's prudence. And then there's preference is, so therefore I kiss dating goodbye. Right. That's his personal preference. Right. And so in here, basically, Paul is saying, like, there are things by all possible means. So we cannot we got to understand that we all have guardrails. And the guardrails fall within that biblical principle. And so this is the reason why, even though he may seem flippant, that Paul gives us the flexibility. The Bible gives us the flexibility to become all things to all men because we never lose our anchor. Who we are in Christ. So to the Jew, I can become like a Jew in order to win Jews, even though I'm not under their law. To the Gentile, I can become as a Gentile. We do this really well when we think about missionaries. We, we'll, we'll go through all type of sacrifices. We'll wear all type of clothing. We're, we'll do all types of things as we're going on missionary. But for some reason, when we're interacting with one another, we are fighting for our rights. And we seek to understand before trying to be understood. Uh, we seek to be understood before trying to be understood. You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys know what I'm talking about. All right. So, but so it's by all possible means. And this leads me to our final point. In order that we might win more. That we might win more. Being motivated. We got to be motivated about love over our own liberty. He says, although I am free from all men, I'm free from all and not anyone's slaves, I have made myself a slave to all in order to win more people. One of the first glaring observations as I was reading this text that came out to me is that in the first two parts of that section in chapter 9, verse 19, it says, although I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all. Right? So there's holistic, all, all. But then the last one is that in order to win more. In order to win more. What Paul is ultimately saying is that even when we practice hospitality to its finest, only some will be saved. We don't put our confidence and our hope in our ability to be hospitable. Being, hospita being hospitable is not a guaranteed we're going to win people to Christ. Remember, the very core of hospitality, according to Henry Nouwen, is simply saying hospitality is about creating space where change can take place. It does not mean it will take place. It just means it can take place. We don't do hospitality in order to change people. We do hospitality in order for change, for possibility for it to take place. And so throughout that, you see that theme constantly reminding us so in verse 23 through 27, Paul talks about them, his mindset. And he says, now I do this all because of the gospel so that I might share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So do, so I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself may not be disqualified. So in there, hopefully you saw this concept of I do it to win the more, that I might win more, that I might save some. I do it in order to share in the blessings of the gospel. Verse 23 brings that out. And the question that we have to ask is that if we're not motivated to become hospi hospitable to others, is the gospel still a blessing to us? Is it still a blessing to us? Because when Paul, and he goes in because he understands how hard it is, not just to be hospitable once, but to live your life as a living sacrifice, to be consistent in it, to be consistent in it. And so he basically says that if we're going to be consistent, we got to be disciplined. 
But the type of discipline that we have to have is the discipline that the type that athletes have. And he brings in this example in verse 24. He says, do you know that all that runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. That word race is the, is the Greek word that they use, they use for the word. It, it basically is the same word that they use for the, um, a certain games. The ith, I think it was the Ithmus games. Don't quote me on that, but... Um, let me get back. Uh, the Isthmian Games, right? That this was the second largest games outside of the Olympic Games, right? That, so that in Corinth, this was the second largest games. And so what that meant, that word literally meant was 600, um, a 600 foot race or meet, yeah, 600 foot race. And so that they would run at full speed and they knew that they had to be in top shape in order for people to do that, that to run this race at full speed or to run this race at as hard as you can go. And so what the, the athletes would do is that they would take 10 months to train, to buff it, to discipline their bodies, to run so that they can run the race, not just to say that they've ran in the race, but they do it so that they can run in order to win. And so Paul basically is saying, like, have you guys ever kind of been to that place where you feel like, hey, you know, I'm going to be hospitable, but, you know, I really don't want to be hospitable. I'm going to do it because they tell, the Bible tells me i got to be hospitable. And so you run in such a way that you really there's no goal besides just the simple fact that I'm doing it because I'm supposed to do it. And Paul's just like, don't, like, are you disciplining yourself? Are you doing it just to say that you've done it? He says, all who run the race, run it in such a way that you may win the race. Don't just be happy that you're in the stadium or in the arena. Run it in such a way to win it. Be like the athletes who discipline themselves consistently in order to do it, right? In order to create the space, we all want good friends. We all want to overcome our loneliness, but many of us don't want to do, make, to do the work to create, to make room because it takes discipline. It takes us a, a completely surrendering as a living sacrifice, one who makes themselves a slave to all, one who gives up their rights. You know, I just I never forget, you know, in high school, I don't know if they don't do this anymore, but in high school, you, um, at, on Fridays, every, like, the, all the athletes used to wear jerseys. Do they still do that now in high school? No, no, they don't do it anymore. Well, that was an old school thing. We used to wear jerseys, you know, um, during that time. And, you know, every single Friday, everybody wanted to wear the jersey, right? They wanted to wear the jersey of the team, especially if you were a good team, Right? But the problem was is that many people didn't want to put in the work of two-a-days in order to wear the jersey. And so Paul is saying is that if we are going to win in such a way, we got to be willing to put on, put in the, put in the work. And this is the reason why he says, he talks about self-discipline. And let me just end with this because he, he says this, which is, he says each time, I do it to win more, I do it to win more, that I might save some in order to share in its blessings. But then in verse 27, in verse 26 and 27, he says, so don't run, I don't run like one who runs aimlessly, boxing like one beating the air. He says, instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. But why does he do that? You see that right there, it says, so that, he's giving us the reason, that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. One of the things that we got to understand is that if you are living this life that is primarily about your rights, Paul addresses this later in chapter 10. He says, all things are permissible, but all things are not profitable. He says, you can live your life trying to fight for your rights. And that's permissible because you're free in Christ. But all things are not profitable. And then the question is, is profitable for what? Profitable to win more. To win more. To share in the blessings of Christ. You see, one of the things that we recognize is that our willingness to relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel brings honor to Christ. It brings honor to him because it says that it's, he's worthy 
of us being able to, us relinquishing our rights. And you know what this passage more than anything does? It comes at those that are me-centered. That comes at those that are me-centered. The gospel is an offense to those who are addicted to self. So don't make them overcome your rights as well. We love me some me. I love me some me. And after I talk about me, then I want to know what you think about me. Right? Right? That's, that's kind of how, that's kind of how we, 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 we roll, right? You see, so some of you guys are like, Dahadi, I, I get you. I understand. But here's the thing. I value something more. And ultimately, the question that we constantly have to ask ourselves with being consistently hospitable is we, ask the, we have to genuinely ask, the, ask, the, ask and answer the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is us being hospitable worth us consistently sacrificing, consistently relinquishing our rights, consistently finding common ground, consistently maintaining our identity, consistently disciplining ourselves and replenishing ourselves? And this is not about what you should be able to do. This is not a should message. This is about what we are, what we get to do. God has given us the opportunity to make room, to create space. And the only way we're able to make room and create space for others is by first receiving the room and the space that God has created for us. And so when we understand this, we now can embrace what Paul was saying to the church of Philippi. People were doing him wrong. People were doing dirt. People was actually benefiting from him being in prison. And you know what he said? As long as Christ is being proclaimed. As long as Christ is being proclaimed. You see, Paul depended on another source. He wasn't trying to get his energy and his source from the gratitude of other people because men, women, children, parents, they're going to let us down if we're doing it for the applause of man for the thanksgiving of men. But we find our strength in another source, in, in Christ. Paul basically says in Philippians chapter two, he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship with the spirit, any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love united in spirit intent on more purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interests, but also, but rather to the interests of others. The only way we're able to keep replenishing, the only way that we're able to keep giving is that we first pay attention to our own souls and to our own self. And so Paul says that this is the reason why we discipline ourselves. If we don't pour and put anything in us and we don't do the disciplining, when we get into the game, we're gonna get fatigued. And we're gonna get we're gonna get tired. And so when we ask the question, is it worth it? Part of the response is not to say it in you answering the question, it's in how you pay attention to your soul each and every day. All the stuff that we talked about at the very beginning, if we were to do this consistently, what would you need to do? I would have to pray. I would have to get alone with God. I would have to find times to replenish. You see, because here's the thing: God is not calling us to be hospitable once a week. He's calling us to do it as a lifestyle. Live your life as a living sacrifice in the same way Christ welcome you, welcome one another. This is not a pull yourself out of your bootstraps moment. This is about us surrendering to God and recognizing that the only way we can possibly even begin to try to do anything is by first surrendering. And so what we're going to do is that we're going to take communion. And this is a symbol for us and a reminder for us to make room. And so each and every Sunday throughout this seven week series, we said is that we want to first recognize that we have to make room, we have to make room in our heart with God in order for us to truly make room for others. Because if we just simply start with trying to make room for others, you will grow fatigue. You will go into the performance trap. 
And so our prayer is that we first make room in our hearts for the Lord. In Philippians, the reason why he said, he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and we know that there is, if there's any consolation in his love, and we know that there is, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, and we know that there is, and if there's any affection with his mercy, and we know that it is, make my joy complete by doing nothing out of selfish ambition, but instead everyone ought to look that's um, out for the interests of others. So I want us to take some time, and we're going to start passing out the elements. And I want us to remember that the gospel is not a demand. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. And so my prayer is that we receive God's invitation. We will receive his invitation. So let's take some time and this is consider this invitation. Father, we're thankful, Lord, that we have the opportunity to make room for you. Father, as we testified earlier, Lord, the call that you have given us is too much for us to bear alone. But I pray, Father, that we would first rest in you. We would be replenished by you, be filled with you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So, Father, help us to discipline ourselves to be and to receive your hospitality, your welcoming to us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as we are replenished, as we are refreshed and we are refueled, Lord, that you will give us the strength to consistently show that same hospitality to others. Father, to you be the glory. Allow this communion, this Lord's table be a reminder that you never stop giving to us. And we are to receive it with gladness and that we are to receive it to be a blessing to others. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.